Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. I am Leona Abraham Brando, host for Blog Talk Radio, Shedding Light. Have you ever wondered why, with 2.3 million men, women, and youth incarcerated in the United States of America, why there is mass incarceration in the United States? There are many reasons. However, one reason we can all attest to and probably agree that we as advocates around the country have a problem uniting to bring about positive changes and succeed in our goals to end mass incarceration, death row, life and life without parole, and much more. Today we're going to be talking about some of the problems and how we can change in the way we do things. We watch the news all the time. Well, I do, and I know many of you do, with all the things going on in this government, in the United States of America, and around the country. We get sick of it, because all we see is the Democrats and the Republicans at one another's throats, going on and on and on about nothing. They can't come together for the American people, yet they put the American people into everything they say. They're doing this for the American people or they're doing that for the American people, when in fact they're just in disagreement in opposition because they can't stand one another. They can't stand the other party. Well, that's the same way it is with advocates around this country. We have a problem because when some advocates have problems with another advocate or other advocates, and they're in their cliques or they're in their groups, they start taking sides, not really knowing what the other person is all about or what the other advocates are all about, they just decide to take sides. Now, we have an upcoming event in June. For the entire month of June, we're going to be making phone calls, writing letters, sending emails to the United Nations, to the news, the major news outlets. We're going to be demanding justice in a lot of these areas of injustice in the United States of America. One of them is ending the death penalty because it doesn't make sense that we're going to have someone executed for executing someone else. That's the mentality of this government. That's not showing any kind of role model to the young people or even to the adults and adolescents. Two wrongs don't make a right. We're also looking at ending life and life without parole because we are the only country in the entire world that has such unrealistic sentencing unless as in most countries, unless it involves terrorism or it involves serial killing or mass shootings. We're also looking at defunding the Department of Corrections around the country and law enforcement until, until we can start seeing some positive interaction between the prison officials, COs, and the incarcerated population. Unless we can start seeing less street killings by law enforcement, and more positive interaction. Every time the media reports, they report one-sided stories. So the media is another area that we want to bombard with phone calls, letters, and emails. Because they need to start reporting both sides. They need to start going into the prisons and meeting with the individuals in prisons just as our legislative members should be doing. There is no voice out there for the incarcerated, but yet there's a lot of 
allegations. There's a lot of judgmental attitudes because they're not hearing both sides. We need to start looking at a lot of these issues that are going on. Medical providers, contracted medical providers in the prisons. I just learned from a longtime advocate out of California that her husband was killed. Her husband was killed. He was stabbed to death by a so-called prisoner, another prisoner in California. And she's going to be talking about it because her husband had filed a lawsuit prior to being killed. And now he's dead. That lawsuit won't go through. There are many lawsuits being filed around the country in prisons around the country for the abuses, the violations, the tortures and torments, the deprivations, provocations, harassment. These prisoners don't have any outlet. They have no one to talk to. They have no way to get their their voices heard. And so many of them go on strikes. Then you hear of riots. Did it ever dawn on anyone that these people are crying out for help? We have a media that will go all the way to Ukraine, that will go all the way to Poland, will go all the way to all of these countries to, to get the news of what's going on there. But yet they cannot go into their own prisons to get the news, get the voices heard of the incarcerated men, women, and youth. We have a serious crisis right here on our border, the immigration issues. And I was watching the news the other night when they asked if the president was going to go to the border. But he's on his way to another country. He's on his way to Asia. He just got back from Ireland not too long ago, and he's been out to all these other countries. But yet right in our own backyard, all of these things are being ignored children being torn away from their parents, parents disappearing, although alleged to have been deported, but you don't hear anything from them, and their children do not know where their parents are. We have major problems in this country, and now we're going to be talking about the problems we have within our own advocacy area. But I want to ask we have a caller, 410. Do you want to state your name, please? Yes, I'm Josie Wheel. How are you, Josie? Good. How are you? Good. Do you want to tell the audience a little bit about yourself before we begin? Many people are probably familiar with you because you've been on a, a few times before, but if you can just explain a little bit about yourself and, and what brought you to advocating as well. Uh, yes, I'm. Well, I'm a um, I'm a retired police officer, and currently I, I I'm married to an inmate who is serving life, and he was wrongfully convicted. And I want to congratulate you again on that. Josie and her husband Shane just recently got married, and they're both beautiful people. So I, I really want to thank you for coming on the show today as well, Josie. As I was as I was uh, saying, there is this ep- this event that we're going to be holding next month, which is only a couple of weeks away. And 
prisoners want to get involved. The incarcerated population want to get involved. They cannot make the phone calls to the media or to the United Nations or to the legislative members or to the governors, but they do want to write letters. I was asked by a couple of prisoners to contact some advocates whom I've had problems with in the past, one mainly because she never responds to any of my emails. So I sent her an email and I invited her to come on the show to talk about what they've been doing. And as I told the, one of the inmates, I said, I won't hear from her. I will bet you I will not get a response from her. So we made a $10 bet, just jokingly. And sure enough, she never responded. But when I sent an email to another advocate letting her know what was going on, the email also went to this advocate that I invited to come on the show. And her response was, F you. And I'm saying it in kind words because her words were not as polite or professional. This is a problem that we seem to have in this country. A few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, we had a guest on the show that spoke about some monies that were collected to help a prisoner, and the monies were spent by the person they entrusted with the monies. We had on one time another individual who had served some time in prison and came out, and unfortunately, unfortunately, we have a prisoner calling in now from Missouri. An offender at the Jefferson City Correctional Center. This call is from a correctional. To refuse this brief call, press thank you for using Securus. And as I was start the conversation, and now. as I was saying, a lot of the incarcerated individuals are asking to join, to recruit to share, and to participate in this upcoming event. And this one on the phone, he is going to be speaking in a few minutes. But what happened is when we have incarcerated individuals asking us to contact other advocates to try to get them to join this event that we're going to be doing, which is a national event of calling, letter writing, and emailing. When we have problems with certain advocates and we're trying to connect with them, in spite of the fact that Many of them sometimes do not even respond, or they have their, as I say, clicks. And if you have a problem with one advocate, you can believe in that click or that group. You're going to have a problem with all of them. This is not helping our incarcerated individuals that we are trying to help to free them. This is only complicating matters. Because unless we do things in unity and on a nationwide basis, we're not going to see the success, just as we're not going to see the success with the Democrats and the Republicans with this debt ceiling that's about to expire in a couple of weeks. So we can choose to be like them, or we can choose to unite, regardless of our differences, come together to try to see some resolutions to these injustices going on in the United States of America. I'm going to now introduce Reginald Clements. He is from Missouri. He is wrongfully convicted. One of, there is another one as well, Christopher Dunn. These men have been wrongfully convicted. They have been in prison for years. And I want Reginald to do a little speaking on his, his behalf as well. So, Reginald, can you hear? Can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you. I can hear you perfectly fine. Okay, Reginald. Can you hear me? 
Yes. Do you want to let the audience know a little bit about yourself and, and what you've been going through as well? And what your what the plan is for the upcoming month? Yes. Um, hello. How are you all doing? Thank you for having me on the show, Leona. I greatly appreciate the opportunity to speak and address everybody. I would, uh, my name is Reginald Clements. I've been locked up for 32 years. I am now 52 years old, and, and this call is from a correctional facility back. and may be monitored and recorded. My knees, my back, and my body ain't getting any younger. And I, I say that kind of in a joking way, but at the same time, but it's a reality check to the fact I've been locked up for 32 years. Some people kind of shrug in 32 years, like that's not a long time. And because the Department of Corrections in Missouri, they say 24 of those years don't count. And what it all really boils down to is my case has become political because I was beaten by the police and because God moved the heart of a judge to hear the evidence and look at the evidence in a non-biased fashion. And came to the conclusion that I was, in fact, beaten by the police. And they had beat me into a confession. Now, my case, it's a lot of corruption involved, hiding evidence, destroying evidence, tampering with evidence. And what, ha what happened in my case is I got convicted of a crime that I, of a murder that I tried to prevent. I almost got executed in 2009. Yes, I got convicted in 2000, uh, 1993 of a murder that I tried to prevent and sentenced to death and almost executed in 2009. And How did this happen? And how is it still happening and the injustice and the corruption still happening and taking place? Because they stick together. Right, wrong, and indifferent. The unity amongst the corrupt and the racist and the neo-Nazi fascist regime that is in the neo-Nazi Ku Klux Klan regime that is in this country. There's court cases. There's case after case. And I want everybody to understand. Please, I'm begging you. The corporate confederate agenda is real. The corporate confederate agenda is what was behind January 6th. The corporate confederate agenda is what is behind Donald Trump and the QAnon so-called tropes. The media need to quit calling it tropes and QAnon and call it the Confederacy. Because that's what it is. It's the rise of the Confederacy and they're throwing all these other things up here as distractions. Now, I've witnessed what it's like because I come from a Ku Klux Klan death camp. That's where I almost got executed. Right here in the heart of the United States, there's a Ku Klux Klan death camp, a neo-Nazi Ku Klux Klan death camp in Potosi, Missouri. Look it up, MoDOT's Adopt the Highway Program. The Ku Klux Klan owns that territory. 
Okay, uh, Reg, you know, we have a, another caller. Let me just unmute some of these. Yes. Okay, caller 203, do you want to state your name, please? PJ? Pardon? 
How's everybody doing? CJ? Oh, CJ, how are you? I'm good. Uh, I wanted, CJ, do you want to introduce? Do you want to introduce yourself to the audience? Because I would also like to ask you about the possibility of interviewing this young man that's speaking now. But if you can Absolutely. introduce yourself, if you can introduce yourself Absolutely. to the audience, thank you. Yes. Um, so I'm CJ. I'm a grassroots organizer located in New Hallville, Connecticut. That's uh, a part, a section of New Haven. And, you know, I am the lead organizer for Black and Brown. I'm the lead organizer for Black and Brown United in Action. Our focus is the empowerment, protection, and upliftment of Black and Brown people. Um, One of the things that is near and dear to my heart is mass incarceration and deportation defense because I am also um, from Trinidad and Tobago. So I'm just so happy to be here today, and I would love to have you on the podcast, sir. And, and CJ, this is one of the wrongfully convicted out of Missouri. Christopher, uh, oh, uh, I, I heard it. I'm listening, and I'm trying oh, not okay. to get angry because, because I'm like, you know, everything he's saying, this is what we're talking about. You know, people, do, you know, let's just dial it back, Leona. Here's the thing. Which entity do we all know profits from poverty? There's only one entity, Right. And for that reason, many of our brothers and sisters are doing time. Why? Because guess who's making the money? There's money to be made in poverty. That's why they maintain crime, right? And this poor person, you know, I could only imagine what he's eating. We just saw somebody lose their life eating, eating alive by bed bugs. I mean, come on. But, I, you know, you all know what I mean. This is ridiculous. Exactly. I don't know if Reginald, I don't know if you heard about that, but uh, it's all over social media about a prisoner that was eaten alive by bedbugs in the prison. They must have put him in there and, and never checked on him. It's, yeah, that was of access to uh, Internet and Facebook and different things. So we can't get any information out to the uh, mass populace or keep up with the current events for real. And there is, a, again, there's a, a woman from California. Her name is Mary Trunsdale. And Mary's husband was murdered in prison. And he had filed a lawsuit against the prison. He had filed a lawsuit against the prison, and he was killed shortly after that. It was by um, another prisoner. He was stabbed to death several times. And she said that he had filed a lawsuit. She strongly believes that he was put up to it by the prison officials. So right now she's in the process of trying to find an attorney to take her case, the case of her husband being murdered. But these are things that are happening, and these large corporations are making an awful lot of money. As as Reginald said and as CJ said, a lot of money on these incarcerated individuals. And these are the large corporations. Billions. Billions. It's 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 not millions here and there or a trickle. No, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. You know, I was doing some research in, uh, to see the prices of Nike shoes and all these expensive, very expensive shoes, the monies that are being made. And then I realized when I read deeper into it, 
that a lot of these things that they're selling for millions, hundreds and thousands of dollars is being made by the prison prisoners and they're yes. being paid less than a dollar a day. Yes, and they don't get clean water and they don't get um, food. I, w- I wouldn't even feed animals that, like for real, it's bad, right? But again, there's money to be made in poverty. And in order to maintain poverty, crime has to be maintained. Once again, there's only one entity that can maintain crime and then look the other way. So we know who's doing it, and we need people to get up and stand up and say this shit needs to stop because it has to stop. It has to stop because we have innocent people who are, you know, their lives change. You don't go to prison and, and then you, you know, you live a better life. If anything, you come out even worse than before. You're going to struggle, especially now. Are you kidding me? Come on. Exactly. Come on. Exactly. And, and they fight tooth and nail against certain individuals actually receiving rehabilitation or being rehabilitated. They have a, a selective process where if you're not... Uh, for lack of a better word, kowtowing to the oppressive prison administration, right? Your label, they have they have something that they'll label you as. It's called uh, oppositional defiant disorder. And I had somebody tell who worked in medical tell me that once they put an oppositional defiant disorder in your file, you would never get parole. If you're not in the 12, 12 years since, you would never get parole. And that's basically saying oppositional defiant disorder is basically somebody who is filing grievances and filing complaints about abuse and neglect that we suffer. And I'm sure they got it in my file because I, I file complaints about the abuse and rights violations that we suffer. And I've taken a lot of rehabilitation programs. I've got like 34 certificates um, that I've earned over the years because I believe in being a better person. But they hate for me to become a better person. I'm glad you said that, Reginald. I want to say one of the things you were able to obtain the 34 degrees, but there are people in prisons, especially of color, who to this day have been denied opportunities to take any kind of programs whatsoever so that they can be prevented right. from going up to parole with some progressive right. work. And this right. Is, no, these, right. And these are prisoners you're that don't get right. they don't get anyone to advocate for them. And a lot of them have been no. for years. Yes. And some of the stuff that they're asking the prisoners to do Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, some of it is really unrealistic stuff, man. Like, you know, you're not being real. It's just a system. I mean, people have to break this all the way down. What is the point of prison? I mean, let's let's be real here. The slave masters, what did they do, Leona? When they wanted to punish our ancestors, they did not gather everybody around. They did not make it a spectacle because that's what this looks like to me. Seriously. Yes. You know? It has to stop. And, and this is why I say it's so important for advocates around the country and family members of those incarcerated to unite, to come together, 
and they have to put differences aside. You know, I, I every week that I've had this radio show in the last few years, it's almost like I hear about so much division between advocates themselves. And yet, with this division, we're, we're forgetting the focus, and the focus is on helping these incarcerated individuals to help them to become free, to help them to become progressive while they're inside. A lot of these people go in with education. They go in and physically great health, and what happens is they come out. There are people incarcerated right now in wheelchairs, many with a dementia and Alzheimer's, many terminally ill, and they're still rotting they away. Have, they, they have entire housing units full of people who are in wheelchairs and who are bedridden and, uh, and need their diapers changed. So it's supposed to be in old folks' homes or hospitals up under a hospice care or something. And what they do to try and cut... This call is from a commercial off. facility and may be monitored and recorded. Is they des- you have des- one minute left. Inmates as DLAs, designated living assistants, right? And they have prisoners taking care of other prisoners where... I'm saying and it's, a, it's a beautiful thing as far as the prisoners being willing to take care of uh, someone who uh, needs their diaper changed and everything. God bless their heart and reward them. But this is not our this is not our responsibility. It's the responsibility of the prisoners. And they cut costs by doing this. Reg- and they subjugate us to this. Reggie, you're probably going to be able to call back in again. You will be able, but I want to say real quickly, this is why ACLU should be bombarded as well. Because they should do a class action nationwide in all the DOCs with all of these individuals that are so old, they cannot do anything to anyone because they can't even take care of themselves. And ACLU should be doing class actions around the country. Thank you for using Securus. Goodbye. And he will, he will probably, he probably will call back, but this is, this is very much needed because ACLU has not only been denying prisoners help when they have contacted them, but they also, fail to realize that these incarcerated individuals that are elderly, that are, that are terminally ill, that are in wheelchairs with all kinds of diseases and sicknesses, these people, they shouldn't be in a prison anymore. This is vengeance. No, they should not. They really shouldn't. They really shouldn't. And, and let me just share this. Like, so one of the things that, and you'll know this, you know, because you see my social media, but right now we're, we're really combating for more health care, Right. And specifically for the elderly and disabled, I, I tell you, I feel like people forget that we even have disabled people. Of course you're going to have disabled inmates. Of course. What, should they, what, are they, what are they supposed to exist in there? What are they supposed to do when there's a lockdown? Imagine wheeling around in a wheelchair during a lockdown. Come on, that's just inhumane. I said it before. I'll say it again. You know, I feel like America likes to watch pain. They like to watch it. It's very profitable, and it's it's enjoyable to them. I'm having trouble. I don't know if you ever have this problem, but when you press one to let the call come through, it it keeps recording. Sometimes they have to call back, which is what he's going to have to do is call back. But as you were saying, Mm -hmm. yeah, no, I mean, there's money to be made from poverty, you know. And one of the best ways to maintain poverty is through crime. And I think that a lot of people don't realize, like, there's this 
automatic stigmatization of the incarcerated, as if we don't know that many of our ancestors were wrongfully incarcerated too, right? I'm very sure if we were to go back in a time machine and talk to the first slaves who were, you know, taken from Africa, I doubt highly they thought that they were going on a cruise. You know what I'm saying? So this is like a problem that goes beyond our era, and it needs to stop. We're in 2023. Now, let's just say by some some weird fate of white supremacy, right, because only white supremacy will let it happen, Donald Trump actually goes to jail. You really think he's going to go? And do you think they're going to put him in a place like that? And the answer is no and no. Not at all. He's not the right color to suffer. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. for whatever reason, we get fascinated with seeing our people suffer. And we need to really destigmatize the prison population because it, it's made to seem like they're the only ones. Although we look at the people who do the real, real crime, the white collar crime, I don't see us getting mad about that. No, I was just saying the other day, the uh, if that had been uh, uh, terrorism from other countries that, that did the, uh, the destruction of the capital. January 6th insurrection. Would, they would have been in prison by now. They would have probably been serving a life in Guantanamo okay. Bay. But these, they got a slap okay. on the hand. And that and was they, you and I. That was and, you and I. And we could have just been walking by. We would have been in jail right now. And we didn't even do nothing. We just walked by. And we would have been in jail because that's how this system is set up. And I think a lot of people have to have a reality check as to what is the prison system. It's a systemic way to keep people oppressed. Am I saying that there are not people who commit some real horrid crimes? Of course. To go back to the point that you made before about groups not getting along, let me tell you something. Here's the unfortunate reality. Whether it's a grassroots group or an organized nonprofit or whichever it is, there's going to be the internal stuff. Now, I don't mind disagreeing with someone, and I do not mind accepting what I may not necessarily agree with. What I do mind is toxicity. That's a different, you know, an impervious behavior and, you know, virtue signaling. When you're using the movement to boost yourself, yes, I'll have a problem with that. Because when you hear stories like this, you should never want to entertain that kind of foolishness. This man is called in from prison to tell his story. When he hangs that phone up, he's still in prison. Okay. He's doing whatever he can to get his story out there. So we're not going to let people exploit and use. We just need the right people to jump on board and get mad enough. And really, you're right. With the ACLU, this should be a national issue. Seriously, if you stop talking, you have to stop this too, you know? ACLU is getting getting a bad rep for not, not advocating for the, the incarcerated population in the United States. And uh, Reginald Clemens was actually um, interviewed by the Associated Press. Uh, Reginald, do you want to tell about yeah. your... Okay. Um, you talking about the situation where we got attacked while praying? The, uh, you were interviewed by the Associated Press? Um, yeah, the Associated Press did a story uh, about a lawsuit that we have pending. And... This also relates to rehabilitation as well, because what is the most rehabilitative thing that you can do than pray? I said, praying to a higher power is 
Reginald, I want to I want to say something real quick. Madeline Colburn is not on on with us, but Madeline Colburn, she's a chaplain in the prison, but she's been a longtime advocate. Madeline Colburn actually had to go back to her maiden name because they had her listed as deceased for many many years. You go on the internet and type in Madeline Colburn deceased. Madeline has been an activist for years. She's a, pe- a, a reverend. She's a prison chaplain. She's she's done a lot, and she didn't realize they had her listed as dead until she tried to to go to Ghana, I believe it was, in West Africa one time, and that's when she learned that she was con- she was actually listed as deceased. She went through the government. She did everything she possibly could to resolve the issue, and couldn't do it. So finally, she had to revert back to her maiden name. But these are some if of the I things that they really do. Quick, if I may, really quick. Um, one of my very good friends and ally and comrade, he is a member, the leader for Care Connecticut. So it pleases me, you know, Allah is smiling, I'm smiling, inshallah, to hear that care is on your side. That really made me smile, you know. So there's hope. There are people out there who see and who know we just need more support, right? We need more people to come forward because this is not going to end Talking about it is one thing, but we need to press harder and, and challenge this thing, like you're saying, Leona, really. Yeah. And support, and actually support programs like CARE, because CARE in California, the yeah. same thing. They, they helped somebody years ago that I was trying to help. Unfortunately, the girl got, she got uh, deported back to uh, the Middle East. But the, these, are, these are some of the, um, these organizations, they need to really, get support, and those that aren't active, we really need to expose them. Really need Absolutely, to. Absolutely, because let me tell you something. Right now I'm working with CARE to declare Eid a holiday so that the students could stay home and pray and, you know, observe the day. There's two days, right? I mean, let's think about it. The students, the Muslim students, they don't celebrate other holidays, but they're still respected. It shouldn't be, you know, neuroscience that this should happen. But this is the thing when we're fighting for human rights and civil rights. The fact that a gun has more rights than the three of us combined with this group, that is the kind of country we're in. That's the bottom line, and we have to fight that. Exactly. There's a lot of things that, I mean, they're trying to take the prayer out of the school in California. I mean, uh, Florida, they're trying to do a lot in Florida. Even They're trying to even do away with uh, the history of the, the middle, the uh, is- issues that we are talking about now. They're trying to do away, get I rid of all that. the history books. Let me tell you something. It's history, right? No, this is happening now. It's, it's history when it stops. Exactly. He's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. They just keep calling it other things. That's like um, now, uh, what a lot of people don't know is modern day lynchings. Lynching ain't stopped. They're just not classified as lynchings anymore. What they do is whenever they see young black men who are in college, they call them public suicides. They put on the death certificate, public suicide. If a black right. man is hung, 
and it's clearly racist. They list it as a public suicide. That way it's not a homicide. And it doesn't get classified or, or listed as a lynching that can't be investigated in relation to a hate crime. You know, and the pattern and practice of hate crime. So that means the coroner's mm-hmm. part, part of the cover up. And what we have to that's what I want to do at June that's why I want to promote and push this Juneteenth. Uh I wanna participate in this Juneteenth uh boycott where we divest from these corporations that support this racist Confederate system. And anything that here is You know, I wanted to mention real quickly, too, before I forget, and I forgot. <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to uh, re- remind everyone, though, this thing that's coming up in, um, in June, we really do have to, we really do have to come together because there is a lot of issues that we need to, to address. And one of them, too, is even housing the incarcerated individuals accordingly, according to their age groups. You know, there's a lot of youth out there that are in adult prisons. There's a lot of gang members that should be in separate prisons or separate blocks, elderly, middle-aged. A lot of these things, we need to look at at, at that as well. People with mental health issues shouldn't be incarcerated at all. No, no, they shouldn't. And there's uh, there's an organization, uh, Family uh, and Friends for Individuals for the Mentally Ill. They're going to be on tomorrow talking about what they're doing. Um, they're going to be hosting tomorrow's show, and they're going to be on at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. That's Donna Wynette and, and her crew. Um, but, but these are things, and also the restoration of prisoners' rights to vote. This is very important, that we fight for their rights to be re- restored. As I say all the time, Maine and Vermont, they never took away the rights of their prisoners. They never took away the rights. And that's what the problem is in this country, it's so inconsistent. Everything that they do it's really inconsistent. It's it, really it inconsistently is. on that. It loves violence. It loves it. It's not no, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm saying it's inconsistent and it loves the violence. It likes to create the crime so it could incarcerate us. People have to realize capitalism is successful with a lack of empathy. The minute there's no empathy, capitalism wins. And the reality is, in this society, there is very little empathy for anyone who's incarcerated, period, especially if you're black. That's just like the stain of stains, you know? It's not meant, like, you have to ask yourself, why do they call it reentry if you can't even reenter without being criminalized again? Again, I'm not saying we support every crime. We're not saying that. We're just saying that. You know, the measures taken here, we have people who are being eaten alive by bedbugs. We have people who aren't getting proper meals, proper sewage. We have the mentally unwell who are being handled and mishandled by prison officers. They are not trained to handle mental unwellness. It's just chaos. You're moving people up to the next. And that prisoner in in Florida that was scalded to death, Daryl Rainey, in the in the shower, these are the kind of uh, barbaric things that are being done to prisoners. It's ridiculous, but these are happening. 
I just I just get up. up. Go ahead, Reggie. I know, um, there was oh, there was a mentally uh, challenged, a mentally disturbed individual who was chemically imbalanced named Nathan Fisher. I'll never forget it because and this and this happened way back in the nineties. But it it, 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 it it marked my soul, my heart, my mind to this degree that I, I haven't forgotten the incident because I was a part of a, a suicide observation assistant program where I dealt with people with mental issues and stuff. Uh, and I kind of make rounds and check to see if they were okay and report any odd behavior. Um, Nathan Fisher was abused by this guard named Morgan Warren. Morgan Warren ended up becoming a lieutenant later on down the road. And he was extremely abusive. I I remember he had raped uh, a fellow female staff member and nothing was done to him. And her name was Flores. She filed a lawsuit about the situation. And the administration didn't fire him or terminate his employment or anything. Well, when it came to this guy named Nathan Fisher, Morgan Warren used to have him stick stuff up in his butt. And um, and uh, Morgan Warren, at one point, took and put a flashlight up and into the young man's body cavity. And he got away with it because Nathan Fisher was mentally challenged. And didn't have any family support on the street. Nathan Fisher was released by the parole board, and he was he was so mentally disturbed by his prison abuse, right? Because it just exacerbated his his mental defects, right? And and his his complications and challenges of of trying to find some normalcy. When he got released on facility and may be monitored and recorded. It was so hard for his sister to try to take care of him that she gave up and drove him out of town and called the parole board and told them that he is out of state, outside the state. And he got picked up and put back in prison as a, on a parole violation for, for leaving the state of Missouri. Mm-hmm. She was at her wit's end, and I could I could only imagine because Nathan Fisher used to swallow spoons and lighters and different stuff for attention, and they had to take him out to the hospital and get the stuff out of his stomach. Mm. Um, but I'm saying, look at this cycle of abuse. I watch people lose their minds because of the abuse in prison. We were perfectly normal when they came. They were young, and the abuse of the prison system destroyed them to the point where they started playing with their own uh, species and, and stuff to try and get attention, to try and draw attention to their abuse or to and those mental breakdowns. You know that happened. Um, that happened. There was a have one minute left. There was a young man that uh, a, a young black male who gouged his own eyes out. He was on death row, and I think they just uh, stayed his execution. But that's how much pain and suffering these people are going through to the point where they can't 
get anyone to listen to them to help them, so they take it out on themselves. It's just sad, really. That's what a hunger strike is. It's, it's a mental breakdown. I've been on four different hunger strikes. I didn't see them as mental breakdown until later on. But I realize now um, that those are actually mental breakdowns. Well, I was hurting myself to prove that you can't hurt me. I can hurt myself worse than you can hurt me. It's sad. It's pretty sad when the, when people have to revert to that kind of behavior on themselves. It just is sick. Just is sick. But I'm going to remind the audience. Thank you for using Securus. Goodbye. I'm going to remind the audience again. We have uh, we have about two weeks left before June, and I want to let everyone know the the main places we want to target is the United Nations. And I've been I've been sending that information around through social media. We want to target the media, Newsweek as well, and Time Magazine, and Associated Press, and Reuters, United Press International. Those places. Anytime anyone needs to have addresses or telephone numbers, emails, if they cannot find it through social media, it will be it will be on the uh, it will be available to you. So. You can just um, you can just um, email. I mean, just uh, message me or whatever, and then I can get you back on track with the uh, contact information. Then again, you can actually do some research yourself by looking up CNN News or uh, CNN News or MSNBC. Uh, some people might want to contact Fox if if you can't get through uh, some of the others. You can. Just, just try to hit the media up. And also, like I say, the uh, legislative members, especially those who are focusing right now on criminal justice reform, because those are the ones that need to go into the prison and meet with these incarcerated individuals. You cannot fight for criminal justice reform when you do not have an idea or a clue as to what's going on behind those prison walls. And it makes a big difference to the incarcerated to know that legislative members care enough to go and, and meet with them. Leona, so we have, I have to say, Leona, out here in Connecticut, we're blessed to have Representative Robin Porter, who fits, who does do that. She does go in, she does meet, and, you know, I appreciate her dearly because she's very passionate about this in particular to the point that she even took a trip to Norway to learn from them what are they doing there because their prison system it's completely different. It's not hostile. Exactly. It's made for reentry. So we could do this. The question is, why would we? You know, well, you know there's what? money involved. We need to address that. You know what I mean? We we actually have, uh, even in Massachusetts, we have uh, Senator uh, Jamie Eldridge who has gone into the prisons. We have uh, Senator Liz Miranda who has gone into the prisons. Uh, there are some that are visiting the prisons, but they themselves also say more need to go in. So you have a, you have you have some in Connecticut. We have to encourage or challenge them. Families Against Mandatory Minimum is always encouraging everybody to contact the legislative members and challenge them or encourage them to go into the prisons and start meeting with these incarcerated individuals. You mentioned Norway as well. There have been people in this country that have been going to Norway to find out what they're, how they're, success, they're so successful in what they do. 
Norway is the role model for prisons throughout the world. And not only that, but again, I have not interviewed anybody from other countries that have said that their sentencing is beyond 25 years unless it's terrorism, serial killing, or mass murders. Other than that, the maximum that they sentence is 25 years for any crime. Not life, not life without parole. And this is where we have to focus on letting our media know that this is what they need to do is stop meeting with these incarcerated and start working with the legislative members to bring about positive changes. It's ridiculous. So, Reginald, are you back with us? Yeah, I'm back. I'm right here. Okay. Do you have any? We have yeah. we have 30 minutes left. If you have anything you'd like to add. Yeah, um, I, I would like to add um, and speak about the Juneteenth event that we're we're pushing for, and we're encouraging people to engage and participate in when it comes to trying to end mass incarceration by divesting from it. What we, want, what we would like to do, what we're pushing for, is a concerted effort by everybody to boycott corporations that profit from the prison industrial complex, that profit, that profit from mass incarceration. Because the prison system shouldn't generate profit margins anyway. It's a tax-subsidized governmental agency. Any money that the, the governmental agencies save that are so-called profits should actually be ter- should be tax returns returned to the taxpayers because those are unused expenditures. They should be returned to the taxpayers, not turned over to corporations who believe in slavery. Not corporations that believe the 13th Amendment gives them Kirk Barnes to exploit prisoners, and that's why they want to keep people locked up for the rest of their life, because they make money off of it. I believe the reason they do that is because I believe the Department of Corrections around the country is making money from these corporations. These corporations are paying them something, I'm sure, to allow them to use prison slavery. Exactly. The corporations that make money off of the prison industrial complex and mass incarceration are more easily identifiable. And they are the ones that are driving these crime rates, too, because they're making money off of it. There's judges that have been caught uh, filling up juvenile centers that they own, private juvenile centers that they own. So it's not just corporations. There's judges and prosecutors and attorney generals. Mm-hmm. These public officials that we look up to actually don't see us as nothing but money, opportunities to exploit us. And you best believe it's the black and brown minorities that this this shoe falls on the most. When the other shoe drops, it hits us right in the head and it lands on our neck. Uh, the boycott is... We want to list all the corporations. This call is from a correctional facility and may be monitored and recorded. And make money from the prison industrial complex and, and identify them as corporate confederate corporations. Because they, they believe in benefiting and profiting from slavery. Because the United States of, in the United States of America, under the 13th Amendment, incarceration is slavery. 
need to change that. But that won't change till we take the profit margins out. They're not going to morally have sympathy for us. They don't care about us. I've seen the care. I've felt the care. I'm still in prison because of the care that they have. Doctor, this is what I said. Doc? They said that 44 years of my time don't count. Yes, no, I was going to say, you know, Reggie, I was, we don't, this is something that we keep forgetting. Well, there's 2.3 million people incarcerated in the United States in prisons, jails, and, and houses of wow. corrections. 2.3 million men, women, and youth. No, you know what? They go by 2.1, but that was back about five or six years ago. But the thing is, these people incarcerated, 2.3 million. Your, your story is not isolated. It's not an isolated not situation. There are thousands going through the same thing you're going through. There's thousands going through the same thing that a lot of us and our, and our loved ones are going through. And that's why people might say, well, that's not my problem because I don't have that. That's not my situation. It may not be, but we're going to be fighting for everybody's situation of injustice in the U.S. in the U.S. prison. And I don't care if... That's another reason I speak out because I thank God for the a mind to be able to contextualize and explain my situation. Anybody can call in. And the thing is, when I talk about uh, advocates being divided, there were two advocates, well, one advocate and on, on with us, and, and she got off. You know, sometimes they don't want to speak up while the conversation's going, but they will drop out. And this is what we have around the country. We have a lot of advocates that are just not committed enough to speak out and then they get upset because they're not asked to speak out. You shouldn't have to be asked to speak out when there's when you have something to say, you want to say it, and we need to get it out. But that's the problem we have in this country. We have advocates that are just so divided, and a lot of them, they get upset and they're ready to drop out. And to me, I don't like people like that. They can either be 100% in or they can be 100% out, but don't be in between because we're trying to get some, some issues resolved. I listened the other day to somebody talk about every Sometimes race. Sometimes you can't wait to be called or to speak up. We have to speak up anyway. I've had advocates talk to me about races, about Black Lives Matter, about GLBTs, about all these things. They just go on and on and on as if they're not, they don't have problems themselves. But they can talk about these other issues, these other genders, other races, and nobody says anything to them. But when they hear something they don't want to hear, they're ready to drop out. This is this is what we have, and we're supposed to all be advocating in unity. Well, well I, no, I, you raise an. Uh, what was that, CJ? I said you raise an important point. Like you're absolutely right. There are some people who enter this fight, but they enter it with their own agenda. It has and to be it. their way. Yeah, and and, and yeah. you know. We have to also push for us to be represented. I'm really tired of white people taking our cause, and then they run with it, but nothing's solved. They get, you know, they get the notoriety and they get noticed, but nothing changes. The mm-hmm. advocacy itself, period. If you're not going to be with it from start to finish, leave it alone. And if you're going to come to it and toxify it, please stay away. That's all exactly. I'm saying. Keep it to yourself. 
You know, there was a, a, a young, uh, his, his name was Sean Ellis. He was um, exonerated about a year or so ago. A, uh, wrongful conviction, all those years, he was exonerated. And I, I happened to notice in a, uh, a picture with the, the, the lawyer he had at his trial, Norman Zelkine, with his arms around Sean Ellis. Now, his arms are around Sean Ellis when Rosemary Scapaccio, the lawyer that freed Sean Ellis, had him exonerated. Now, this lawyer that was his lawyer when he got a life sentence, all of a sudden has his arms around him, I guess to make himself look good so everybody will think he was the lawyer that freed him. Who knows? But this is the kind of mentality that some people have. They will represent you half-assed. You go to prison for life or life without parole. And then another lawyer comes along years and years later and frees you, gets you free, exonerated. And the lawyer that was your lawyer when you got sentenced to life is all of a sudden arms around you like they did something for you. This is how they divide people. That's how we get divided in our country. And a lot of people don't realize what's happening to them because they haven't been around long enough. But somebody that knows the ropes knows when somebody's being sucked in to manipulation. And that's what we have a lot of, even in Massachusetts. Yes. I, I, I say we need to document and identify the truth. Exactly. What I mean by that is we might not get justice today, but they're trying to erase our history. They're trying to erase so that they can do it again. Mm-hmm. We need to document present history, present day repetition, document the truth so that yeah. there will be a continuous record so that when the day comes that we do figure out exactly how to eliminate the corporate confederate agenda or how to counteract the corporate confederate agenda, we'll have a pattern a pattern in practice uh, identified, a uh, pattern in practice understood, and a pattern in practice that we can strategize against. Well, as the activist Shahid said, Anthony Shahid, give those bad ratings to all those organizations profiting off of prisons. Bad ratings. It's easy enough to go on their sites. These are some of the ways. And I'll tell you another thing. We were doing, there was a time when everything was going a lot better than it is today when we had the activists of the NAACP and Farrakhan and uh, National, uh, National Action Network. These people have disappeared, and this is a problem. This is a problem because there's no, no uh, advocates out there anymore for the cultures. coming in and then hijacking movements. Um, and I said, we appreciate their support, but um, and, and them sympathizing and having compassion and concern. But you said it, hijacking. Hijacking. Be sincere, be sincere and genuine. I was just talking to somebody today, right? And I was like, This call is from a correctional facility and may be monitored and recorded. I welcome your help, but I need your empowerment. I need you to help me become empowered. Not just help me. Don't just help me eat today. 
empower me to feed myself in the future, today and in the future. That's what we we need empowerment for what for any for people that are willing to help us in our diaspora that still continues today. Where we're being divested from and we're being economically repressed. Help us to become empowered. Join the Juneteenth is extremely significant, yes. No, I was going to say, I love what you said there because it's true. And we, I want to add to that and say it's okay to push back. We need to stop letting them shove us out of our spaces. We have to tell our story. We cannot just let them tell our stories for us, you know. I mean, we have to own our narrative. And the truth is, for too long, they have made money off of us from our poverty, our imprisonment, Every single part, a true white ally will have no problem being in the background. They will have no problem empowering you. They will believe in equity and understand what that means, and that's what we need. And we need our fellow black and brown people to step up. We need you all to step up. Don't give up on us yet. Don't, don't just wait for the white man to do it either. We have to do it. We have to believe in our own people and say the time is now. Let me tell you something. When black and brown people start to organize, it scares the hell out of government. Why? Because capitalism is successful where there is no empathy. So whenever they see people starting to organize, they get real scared because that shows up. And remember, we're supposed to be so progressive in America, right? Mm-mm-mm. I want to I want to mention something real quick. To talking about uh, mass incarceration, they have movies out there that they're making. Producers are making all kinds of money on violent movies, and most of these violent movies come from uh, real life experiences, real life uh, situations of violence, and people pay all kinds of money to see violence in the movies. And I often wonder if these movies are not being produced by these producers, by our government, to put the fear or to maintain the fear in the public so that the the public is always going to be fearful of people behind prison walls or people in the communities that that are subjected to police uh, interaction or whatever. I, I think that if they did away with all of these movies that they produced, the violent movies, I think that crime would not only go down, but I think people would be less fearful. Although people, will, they'll still run from the police because the police have gotten a reputation that everyone fears, red, white, black, brown, whatever the color may be. They, they, they are afraid to stop when a police car is behind them because they're afraid of what yes. the police are going to do. And I'm going to add to that too, because it's not just the violence part, it's the fascination with guns, right? A lot of these movies, for whatever reason, we can't even watch our good old cartoons without gun violence in it. It's mm-hmm. mental slavery. But let's add to that. Why is it whenever, right, um, there's a movie regarding the end of the world, it always comes down to a white person trying to survive? You ever notice that? The black people will make it, but they're not the ones really leading the way, and we need to challenge that. Because we're the reason why they're still here. (laughs) 
We're generous people. Seriously. We built this country on our backs. You know, if you watch these movies, wherever there's the end of the world, there's always that white person who always knows the answer and is always fighting. Why is that the representation? And you see what that leads to, it instills mentally that we need that white savior, and that is wrong. What we need to do is to remember that we have beautiful golden skin and that we built this. This is ours. We just need to take it back. Period. And I agree with you. This this country was built on where did the diamonds and the gold come from? But Africa. Where did the oils come from? And the mirth, the, the perfumes and all that from the Middle East. So every every time there was a war, our troops, they always came back with something from those countries. And I often wondered why we even were in those countries because at the time there was no way that any country could hit the United States. Now... In modern-day technology, there's ways they seem to be doing it, but we have domestic violence, domestic terrorism in this country, and what, are the, what is the government doing but slapping them on the hands, on the wrist, or putting them in prison for a couple of years when there's people serving life sentences and on death row for less? It's, uh, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, domestic violence, right? Because... Our like, our relation our racial relations in this country to uh, a spousal abuse or domestic violence type of situation where we are the battered people and we are the non sympathetic victim where people don't really sympathize with us and people would look the other way when they hear us in the house being beaten and us in the house screaming and everything for help. And they turn, people turn a blind eye, and then we end up submitting to our abuser. And when a person you have one minute left. Try to take us out of the situation, we end up kind of going back to the same abusive cycle. And it's, 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 it seems like a domestic violence uh, relationship when it comes to racism and violence and, and crime in this country. But I know one of the simple cures statistically to violence and crime is education and job opportunity. If you increase education and job opportunity in any area, the crime rate drops. So they are intentionally repressing our education and job opportunities in order to keep the crime rate up. And that way they can come in and siphon off the resources with pawn shops and payday loans and they can use eminent domain to take our properties. Yeah. And, and, and it's a vicious cycle. Thank you for using Securus. Well, I'll tell you, that's, that again is a lot of what he was saying is very important to, to, to maintain, to keep in mind too. And like like he was saying, and I also wanted to bring up, and I didn't bring it up before he called. Um, if you notice, you try to look up, and the audience can do the same thing. Look up on the uh, any inmate locator, and look up these inmates, these incarcerated individuals. They're starting now in a lot of these places. They're starting now to not list their race. They will not list if they're they will not list if they're black or brown or or if they're whatever they might be. They're not listing it. So I often wonder why. And then I realized 
The reason why they're not listing it is because the statistics that are being maintained by the, the country is not going to be accurate if they don't have they don't have them listed as black or brown or if they don't have them listed as is uh, Caucasian. Well, they might have them listed as Caucasian if they're white. But I haven't, I've noticed they have not been listing the races of the incarcerated individuals in a lot of places. And I wonder why they're not listing them. The only thing I could assume was that it's because of the, the statistics, the census of those incarcerated in prisons. Yeah, that has a lot to do with it. They don't want you to know. That's, that's it. That's why I said document the facts. I, I was surprised because there was a time when they listed their their culture, their races, but they don't seem to be doing that anymore, and I don't I I couldn't understand why. But um, I think I think the only reason they were doing it then is since they could keep track of black people. I could. What do you mean the races? Yeah, the the the, the races because the the domestic slavery never ended in this country, and they wanted to keep track of us use a census system and bureau to track black people so that they could coordinate us off. But now that they have computers, they, they, they have a system where they can systematically filter us out a little bit better. Mm-hmm. One of the things I want to get back onto, though, because we do only have a couple of weeks, is, is this unity. We will find out how much unity and how much division is out there in the month of of June. We'll see how this works out. But again, there has to be more communication between advocates. And whether they agree or disagree, and you know, the the discussion we've had today on this show would would have been a good time for advocates who are in disagreement to come forward to talk about it, to talk about their opposition or to talk about their agreement whatever the case may be, this is how we have to work things out so that we can all come together in unity for the month of, and I say this even if it's only for the month of June, but it's something that we all do agree on, and that is injustices in the United States penal system and in the communities. So everybody's experiencing some form of injustice now. They can call about any injustice they want to call about, but we have to Bombard the media in the month of June. Bombard the nation, the United Nations, and also ACLU, Amnesty International, whomever we have to. And then at the end of the month, if everyone does this on a daily basis, even if everyone just makes ten, five or ten calls or writes five letters or whatever the case may be each day, even if they get a recording, just leave a message. If you get an, an intake, leave a message. But we have to do this. And if it works out, it's going to be successful. I just want my humanity to be recognized. That's all I'm asking the world for. You know, it's sad. It's sad that people have to be incarcerated for the length of time they have to be incarcerated. It's it's a shame when we have human beings that are overseeing the incarcerated that are just as criminal-like or more so because they're in uniform or they have titles. It's a shame when we have governors with the death penalty that are so envious of the individuals on death row 
because those individuals are not sitting in wheelchairs themselves. They're not disabled themselves. They're healthy. And unfortunately, sometimes they say misery loves company. So we have people on the outside, governors out there, or legislative members or a government that just is either envious because they're not as healthy or they're not as well put together as the people they want to put in prison for life or death. Now, Governor Newsom, a lot of people used to talk about him, but Governor Newsom, I believe, is one of the best governors in the country. He has been releasing a lot of individuals out of prison, including lifers. And I heard from Dorothy D'Agostino that that Governor Shapiro from Pennsylvania uh, did away with the uh, death penalty. So there is a little, even though it's little, there is progress being made. And we have to, maybe for the month of June, we, we need to seal it. We need to seal it by making these mass calls. Actually, this is why we decided to hold this in June, because we know that there's going to be a lot of protests out there, rallies or whatever across the country to celebrate the Juneteenth that you speak of. But that is not what we're doing in this situation. We chose this time because it seems to be the most appropriate time to to bring about some justice. And that's hopefully what we're going to try to do. But uh, I wanted to, once again, uh, CJ, if you can just let the audience know one more time about your organization and also your radio, uh, your podcast, so that we can uh, get that out to everyone that wants to listen in or or call in or whatever. Sure. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate you inviting me on today. You know, this is such an important platform you have there. I myself, my podcast is The Sound of Black and Brown. Um, it's available on Google and, um, you know, iTunes and Samsung and so. And I'm also an organizer, lead organizer for Black and Brown United in Action. It's a grassroots organization out here in uh, New Hallsville, Connecticut. Thank you so much, Leon. I really appreciate you. And thank you, too, for calling in and sharing your truth. It's important that we tell our stories. This is what frames us. And it can't always be sunshines and lollipops. We have to tell what happened. We can't change anything if we keep ignoring it. You know what I mean? And as I mentioned before, there's only one entity that I know of that has the power to orchestrate this and then just look away, and that's the government. Capitalism is only successful when there is no empathy, and that is something 
that I've been talking about a lot lately on my podcast, The Sound of Black and Brown, and it is something that we also talk about as a group, Black and Brown United in Action, because it's the truth. It's what we've been talking about for the last few minutes. Where Where there is no empathy, where nobody cares, capitalism will be successful. And it's time that we start to call it what it is and deal with it for what it is. The prison industry complex is a profit system that does nothing but put pockets in pockets that were already lined. And that in itself is a crime. This call is from a correctional facility and may be monitored and recorded. Everything you say is so true, too, CJ. It's really, the you know, it seems like it's, it started to get better, and then all of a sudden it got so much worse after the Trump era. And this goes to show you that we were living under pretense, I believe, all these years when things seemed to be okay or slightly okay, and then it just came right to a full force now. So we'll see what happens in the month of June. We'll see what happens. So, Reginald, if you want to say any, if you have any last-minute things to say, we have about three minutes left. Thank you very much, Leona, for this opportunity to be on your show. I thank the listeners for tuning in. And um, I have a show, Ground Zero, on Monday at 5 o'clock. On the, on the on the Shedding Light Network. Reggie, uh, Reginald, can yeah. you can you when you say five o'clock, we have people listening throughout the country. So is that Eastern Daylight? Uh, five o'clock That's Eastern. Central. Five five o'clock Central on Monday. Okay, so that would be six uh, o'clock Eastern and three o'clock. Yeah, that would. Okay. It'd be four. Yeah, three o'clock uh, on the West Coast. Okay, so five o'clock Central. 3 o'clock uh, West and, and uh, 6 o'clock Eastern Time. Okay. Yes. Okay, and can you talk and, um, a little bit about it again? Yes, it's, uh, it's uh, called Ground Zero, and it's about um, getting down to the heart and the root of the matter. We're not into being politically correct or silencing anybody's voice, and, we're, and we prefer that, I'm saying, talking about these these issues and talking about them. And I want the audience to know this Reginald Clemens is one individual who just spoke about all the injustices he went through and a few people that he knows. Consider this as just a tiny example of what we have in the United States prison on a 2.3 million 
incarcerated individual basis, the torments and tortures that they're going through. Emily Shelton is going to be holding a rally for three days or four days in July. It's going to be on the, on, based on the Mandela, Nelson Mandela torture, and it's going to be talking about tortures in the American prisons. So please be ready for June and July events and possibly August, which is something that's being looked at too by some heavy activists. So I want to thank everybody for being on. Again, CJ, thank you so much for coming on. And I, I look forward to having you come on as a guest another time as well. Reginald, thank you for calling in. I know you had to call in four times. But you got the messages out, and they were very important messages. So I thank you both for being on in audience. I want to thank you all for listening in, joining us. And we will be, again, tomorrow is uh, 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Donna Wynette will be talking about the uh, mental health issues in the prisons, and it is Mental Health Month. So tune in tomorrow at 6.30 to Eastern Time to listen to Donna Wynette and her, her uh, committees. So thanks again, everyone, and we will now be ending this episode.